I do, uh, as we go into the scripture, want to say two things. Um, we do have four services tomorrow on Christmas Eve. Uh, the one at 2 o'clock will be our uh, carols, communion, and candlelight service. Um, our 4 and 6 o'clock services will be carols and communion. And our 8 o'clock service will be carols, I'm, I'm sorry, I said carols and communion, it's carols and candlelight. And our last service at 8 o'clock will also be carols and candlelight with a little 412 uh, twist. So we hope you'll come to one of those and worship the Lord there. In a moment, um, I said for several months, in a moment you're going to hear from one of the uh, better young preachers coming up in the Methodist train. But after hearing him six or seven times, I'm going to tell you this. In a moment, you're going to hear from one of the better Methodist preachers in Iowa, uh, Simon Campbell. To get to that, uh, we're going to uh, read the Holy Scriptures uh, at the, annunci- uh, the Annunciation of Mary and the Magnificate. If you would hold these words in your heart, uh, listen to them as I read them, um, let them resonate. At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea, where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of our Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who believed that the Lord will fulfill his promises to her. And Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in his inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. Mary stayed with Elizabeth for about three months and then returned home. May God add his blessing to our reading, our understanding and are acting on these scriptures. Will you take a minute? Will you pray with me for the one who's coming to preach and the everlasting gospel that he shares with us today? Lord God, you are the one and only. And you tell us generation after generation exactly who you are. You are the one, Lord, that teaches us all things. You are the one who makes the impossible possible so that humanity can deny your glory not. You are the one who uses the impossible to make our response unavoidable. So as we hear the words of Mary today, Lord, interpreted by our pastor, our leader, Simon, today, we ask, O God, that you might enrich his heart, fill him with your Holy Spirit, open our ears to hear what it is that you call to us as we See those, sing those carols, and as they still resound in our spirit, let us not be overcome with nostalgia. But let our hearts, like the baby John the Baptist in his mother's womb, leap with joy 
for Christ is coming. In Jesus' name, we pray this blessing upon Simon. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. All right, we're going to jump right in this morning because we all know what season it is, right? When you woke up, it wasn't like, oh, I wonder what they're going to talk about today in church, (laughs) right? We know what part of the calendar we're in. We're at the tail end of the Advent season, coming right up on Christmas Eve, and we've been immersed in this Christmas story, the story of Jesus' birth, the story of angels singing, the story of Mary and Joseph, of baby Jesus in the manger, of stars in the sky, of shepherds in the fields, of wise men coming from far away. It's a beautiful, miraculous story where God does impossible things. But God doesn't do these impossible things out of a whim or by accident. No, God does impossible things with purpose and intention. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning because God uses the impossible to make his glory undeniable. God uses the impossible to make his glory undeniable. You see, sometimes I think we over-romanticize this story, this Christmas story, because it's nostalgic to us. It's something that most of us have heard multiple times before, sometimes even from the point when we were small children. And when we think of Mary, we think of a young woman robed in blue, riding on a donkey in the midst of a starlit sky, right? But Mary in this scripture passage that we read today, Mary is in a precarious situation, a difficult situation. Mary's in a dangerous situation. Some would even say this is an impossible situation because Mary, she's engaged to a young man named Joseph, but then she's visited by the angel Gabriel who says that you will bear a son And this son will be the son of God, the savior of the world. That's a pretty crazy story. That's a pretty hard thing to convince the people that you're with all the time that this is why you're miraculously pregnant right now. Okay? This is a difficult situation. And in her time and and place in culture, this puts her in a dangerous, impossible situation. Because there's some nasty consequences to the situation that she's in. Here's the best case scenario. Best case scenario is that her engagement is broken. That she is publicly humiliated and shamed and expelled, thrown out of the community that she's lived her entire life in. That's best case scenario. Worst case scenario, she could be killed for her supposed infidelity. And this is perfectly moral and legal in the eyes of the law at the time and place and culture that she's in. So this is an impossible situation. And in the first line of the scripture passage today, it says, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea. That's where Zechariah and Elizabeth lived. It says, now when when we read scripture, it's important sometimes to notice 
some extraneous or extra details, details that don't necessarily need to be in there because when we ask the question, why are they, uh, why are they there, we get to deeper meaning of what the text means. Because it doesn't say Mary got ready and walked. It doesn't ser- say that Mary got ready and just went. It says Mary got ready and hurried. So the question for us is, why is Mary hurrying here? Now, based on what we know about her situation at the time, it would be a logical explanation for someone to say, well, Mary's hurrying because she's guilty. Like this girl's in trouble. She knows her story isn't going to stand up. So she's hurrying to get out of there. But because we know the end result of this story, we know that that's not the case, right? Well, what if Mary's running? What if she's hurrying out of fear? Because she would be aware of the situation she's in. She's aware of the consequences that potentially face her. What if she's running? She's hurrying. She's running away because she's scared. That's not what we see in this scripture either. So why is Mary hurrying? Mary is hurrying because of the joy that's overflowing in her heart and in her life because of the impossible thing that God has done and is doing in her life. Because God uses the impossible to make his glory undeniable. When we look at the passage, we can see this joy overflowing in Mary when she meets Elizabeth. These are two women who's, who, in whose life God has done impossible, amazing things. Mary is a virgin, has conceived, and is bearing a son, the Savior of the world. And Elizabeth, in her old age, has a son in her womb as well. These two women have had God do impossible things in their life. And when they meet, oh, that joy is just overflowing, outpouring. When Mary sees uh, Elizabeth, Elizabeth says to her, Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. Mary in this moment, Mary in this moment is embracing the impossibility of her situation. She's embracing the impossibility of her situation with joy because God uses the impossible to make his glory undeniable. We're going to hear this a few more times because God uses the impossible to make his glory. All right, here we go. Let's look at Mary's response here. Let's look at what she says because this is really important. The first things out of her mouth the first words out of her mouth is, my, my soul glorifies the Lord. My soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. Mary is glorifying God in the midst of her impossible situation. Mary is glorifying God in the midst of her impossible situation. The word that's translated glorifies here, the Greek word actually is, is literally means expand, to expand, to enlarge. So what Mary's doing here, this could also be translated, my soul magnifies the Lord. My soul magnifies the Lord and rejoices in God, my Savior. Mary is making a big deal out of God. 
right here in the midst of her impossible situation. She is not magnifying the obstacles, the impossibilities, the dangers that lie ahead for her. She's magnifying the God who has done impossible things in her life. My soul magnifies the Lord and rejoices in God my Savior. You see, Mary's faith is incredible here. It's incredible faith. And faith that moves the mountains, faith that moves the mountains doesn't stare at them. Faith that moves the mountains doesn't fixate, doesn't obsess, doesn't continue to look to the mountains and magnify the mountains. Faith that moves the mountains looks to the one, magnifies the one who will move those mountains. Just like the words of the old hymn says, Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Those words, what they're telling us is when we look to Jesus, when we look to the one who can move mountains, the things of the world, the things of this earth, they dim, they fade in our eyes. Not because they no longer matter to us, not because we are no longer affected by them, but because when we look to the one, when we focus on the one, when we magnify the one who can move mountains, who can do impossible things, these other things fade away. Because God can and will and does overcome them all. God uses the impossible to make his glory undeniable. God uses the impossible to make his glory undeniable. Mary was not magnifying the fact that her engagement could be broken, that that she might be publicly humiliated and shamed. She's not magnifying the fact that she could spend the rest of her life expelled, banned from the town that she'd grown up her whole life in. She's not magnifying the fact that she could be killed for the situation that she's in. She's magnifying God who is doing impossible things in her life, and she is embracing the impossibility of her situation and glorifying, magnifying God in the midst of it because God uses the impossible, to make his glory undeniable. There's no question, there's no question where the credit belongs in this situation. You don't see Mary here glorifying herself and and showing her elevated status, saying, look at me, look how wonderful, how marvelous I am that God has chosen to do this thing in me. No, she is magnifying, she is glorifying God because when God does the impossible. There can be no doubt where the glory belongs. When God does the impossible, God's glory is undeniable. It can't be explained away. God uses the impossible to make his glory undeniable, but he also uses the impossible to make our response unavoidable. God uses the impossible to make our response unavoidable. Why doesn't the Christmas story make more sense? 
why isn't the Christmas story more logical? Have you ever thought about that? You see, the Christmas story could be a lot more logical, but God chooses to use these impossible methods. You see, Jesus could have come from a wealthy, well-connected family, right? He would have way more advantages that way. He could be educated by the leading religious teachers of the time, have the best education. He would have all the wealth and resources to start whatever movement, whatever exploit, whatever, whatever following he wanted to. And he would have the political connections. He would have connections to real power, people who could really affect real change, right? But if this story were that logical, it's expected. This forms to the patterns of the world, and it requires no response because it's what we expect. God chooses to use the impossible to make our response unavoidable. The impossibility of the Christmas story, the impossibility of Jesus requires a response. Now you can choose to accept or reject it. You can choose to accept or reject the impossibility of Christmas, but you can't ignore it. The impossibility of Christmas requires a response. You see, sometimes in our culture, Christians are encouraged to be reasonable. We're supposed to be reasonable Christians. We're supposed to be measured in our belief. We're not supposed to take things too far and make these crazy, impossible claims, right? But in this scripture, Mary is not being reasonable. Mary is not being measured. Mary is not avoiding taking things too far. Mary is glorifying God in the midst of her impossible situation. She's embracing God's impossible vision. And she sees how God is using impossible things to bring his will about. She says how God brings down the rulers, but he exalts the humble. She sees how God fills the hungry with good things, but, but sends the rich away empty. She sees how in her own life, God has caused a virgin to conceive. And she can see in the life of her relative Elizabeth that an old woman has born a son. God uses the impossible to make our response unavoidable. You see, God's faithfulness, his ability to overcome impossible situations, that's been, that's unchanging. The only question mark, the only variable in this whole thing is what our response will be, what our faith is. You see, living in faith, living as a Christian means embracing the impossible. Living in in faith means embracing the impossible. Living as a Christian will inevitably look different from the rest of the world because it is shaped by impossible things. Living as a Christian will always look different. It's inevitably different from the rest of the world because it's shaped by impossible things. Our very identity is centered on impossible things because we believe that God split the sea so the people of God, the people of Israel, could walk right through it on dry ground. We believe that God caused bread from heaven to fall each and every day to sustain that people for 40 years in the desert. We believe that God caused a 
virgin to conceive and give birth to the Savior of the world. We believe that God causes the blind to see. We believe that God causes the sick to be healed. And we believe that the entire sin of the whole world is is atoned for by the sacrifice of one man. And we believe that that one man, Jesus, was was raised from the dead and death is defeated forever. We, our identity is founded on impossible things. God uses the impossible to make our response unavoidable. We need to follow Mary's example. We need to embrace the impossible. Don't wait any longer. God uses the impossible to make our response unavoidable. God has done impossible things. God has done miraculous, marvelous, beautiful, wonderful things. Also that you, also that you could see your invitation to have a relationship with the one who moves mountains. God has done impossible things so that you could see your opportunity, the impossibility of Christmas demands a response. What is yours going to be? The impossibility of Christmas demands a response. What's yours going to be? We're going to take a few moments because I think there are some here that are ready to embrace that impossible, that are ready to embrace that impossibility of the Christmas story, to embrace the impossibility of the person of Jesus Christ, maybe maybe for the first time. So what we're going to do right now is we have these kneeling rails right at the front of the stage here. And if you are ready, if you have been going on so long resisting or rejecting the impossibility of the Christmas story, the impossibility of the person of Jesus, I want you to come down right now and pray and welcome the God who moves mountains to have a relationship with you. I want you to come down right now. And maybe, maybe you're in a situation where you felt like you've been too reasonable, where you've been measured in your belief. You're trying not to take it, you know, too far. And you're ready to embrace the impossible right now. Or maybe, maybe you've been staring at the mountains. Maybe your faith, your belief, is just measured because you're looking at the mountains. You're fixing your eyes on the impossible things of your situation. You're forgetting to look at the one who can move those mountains. If any of those are you today, we're going to give you moments right now to come to kneel, to pray before the one who's done impossible things for you. Come forward in Jesus' name.
if you're still in your seat, I want you to be praying right now for the ones that are coming forward. I want you to be lifting up prayers of encouragement. I want you to be lifting up prayers for those who are up here. over those who are kneeling at the front. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in His wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strange. In the light of His glory and grace. I invite you, I encourage you to turn your eyes to Jesus. Come forward, embrace the impossible. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in His wonderful And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of His glory and grace. Turn your eyes to the one who can move mountains. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look for Look full in his wonderful face. Let those things fade away. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim. In the light of his glory and Lord Jesus, we are here before you. We want to fix our eyes upon you. We want to magnify you and embrace the impossibility of the things that you have done to center our lives around impossible things. So Lord, help us not to be reasonable. Help us not to be measured. Help us to embrace your impossibility with open arms without hesitation. And Lord, I pray that we would not fixate on the things that are in front of us, that we would not dwell on the impossibilities of our situation, but that we would look to you because you have already overcome the world. So Lord, sustain us in faith. Continue to show your glory amongst us. All this we ask in the powerful name of Jesus Christ. Amen.